When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I am Jinyi Lee from the University of Arizona. Joining us today is Dr. Gay Rowley, Professor of Japanese Literature at Waseda University in Japan. This book that we are talking about today is a translation for In the Shelter of Pine, or in Japanese, Matsukage Nikki. It is one of the most important works of memoir written by a woman, Ogimachi Machiko, in the Tokugawa period around the 17th century. This translation was published by Columbia University Press this year. So welcome, Gay. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. So this is, I think, the first complete English translation for Matsukage Nikki. in the shelter of pine. How did you begin this translation project? Well, I started, I decided to translate uh, in the shelter of the pine for various reasons. Uh, But the main reason was because I wanted to know what it said. I'd been aware of the text since my graduate student days in the 1980s, before you were born, I'm sure. And uh, I tried to read a paperback edition that appeared in 2004. But the meaning of so much remained opaque, to me at least. Uh, And then in in 2007, Miyakawa Yoko, a friend and scholar I'm much indebted to, published a new transcription of Machiko's manuscript, complete with extraordinarily detailed notes. And so for the first time, it was possible to translate the whole text in a reasonable length of time. Uh, And I began work in October of 2013. And and there are other reasons, of course. I I was... uh, I wanted, there's a huge gap. Uh, women are largely absent from the literature of the Edo period, as it's, at least as it's taught uh, in both Japanese and outside of Japan today. Um, and it was a chance to reveal something of the lives of women who made possible the success of the man at the center of the story. Uh, and then, of course, there's the, the tremendous challenge of rendering her, Ogimachimachiko's, flowing, at times even a bit precious neoclassical language um, with its countless allusions to earlier poetry and prose. And, and so that was also part of the challenge and part of the, uh, the pleasure of making the translation. That's quite amazing. So who is Ogimachi Machiko? Um, we know that she's, or this memoir at least, is from the Edo period. Um, when did she live? What did she do? So Machiko was born to an aristocratic family in Kyoto at some point in the late 1670s. So we don't know exactly when she was born, typical of most um, aristocratic women from this period, um, unless you were married to uh, an important man or gave birth to an important man, uh, your de- your 
date of birth is usually not recorded. Anyway, she was educated at home by her grandfather until she was about 16. And then it was arranged that she would travel down to Edo, where she became the second concubine of Yanagisawa Yoshiyasu, the powerful samurai who was the chief adjutant to the fifth Tokugawa shogun Tsunayoshi. Machiko served Yoshiyasu for 20 some years from late 1693 until his death in 1714 when she was about 37. Uh, and she outlived Yoshiyasu by 10 years and died in 1724. So Machiko was a very valuable addition to Yoshiyasu's household in various ways. Uh, first, she gave birth to two of his children. Uh, both of them were boys, and both of them survived childhood um, and became adults. And so as a concubine, she provided Yoshiyasu with two useful spares in case something should happen to his heir, Yoshisato, uh, who was the son of Yashi Yoshiyasu's first concubine. Uh, Machiko was also a, a valuable addition to Yoshiyasu's household because she was a noblewoman. So she was able to facilitate his relationships with members of the imperial court via her father and mother. Um, and that access was important to Yoshiyasu both for political reasons, so he could do his job better, so he could serve uh, Tsunayoshi better, um, and also for personal reasons. He was a huge um, uh, waka poet. And, and that was also important to him. And, and then third, Machiko wrote in The Shelter of the Pine a biography of Yoshiyasu that's also a memoir of her life with him. And, and this too was a, a boon to Yoshiyasu because it provided a sympathetic portrait of uh, the private face of a man who was otherwise uh, um, only known in the public realm of shogunal politics. You know, there was an official biography. Um, Yoshiyasu commissioned his house scholars, um, principally uh, the Confucian scholar Ogyu Sorai, to compile a record of his life. Uh, but no one outside the Anagisawa house was permitted to see that text until the Meiji period, until 1870, in fact. And so throughout the Edo period, from 1712 or thereabouts, when the, uh, In the Shelter of the Pine was likely completed, through the end of the 19th century, uh, Machiko's biography of Yoshiyasu uh, circulated um, in among uh, as, a, as a manuscript among people who wanted to read it. And, and that was surely what, what Yoshiyasu intended um, to happen. Thank you. And I want to talk about memoir writing for a second, because from your translation, well, I didn't read the original Japanese, but from your translation, it seems like she wrote in a very elegant way, a very well-educated woman she was. So um, you mentioned in the book that it drew inspiration from the tale of Genji. In what aspects are they similar and different? And I guess what I'm more curious about is, was it common for women, especially noble women living around this time, to write memoirs like this, and especially long-length ones like this? Mm. Yes. So 
certainly in the in the shelter of the pine is one of the many literary texts that's written in the long shadow cast by the tale of Ganji, and I'm sure that um, people listening will be familiar with uh, many of the landmarks of that that long shadow, all Japanese poetry. Um, for example, and other kinds of literary texts, um, the Sarashina Diary, the Tale of Sagoromo, Mumio Zoshi, the Nameless Notebook, Abutsu's Utatane, and uh, A Nursemaid's Letter, the Confessions of Lady Nijo, all, all of those, those texts by women um, are written in the shadow of Genji. And I think it would actually be hard to find any literary text written by a Japanese woman or a man, for that matter, in classical Japanese between the 11th century and the 18th century that did not in some way refer back to or, or look back to, to Genji. Uh, in the Shelter of the Pine is similar to Genji in that it's a narrative and it's narrated by a female narrator. Um, and that narrator is the creation of the author, Ogi Machimachiko. So the narrator of, of In the Shelter of the Pine is like um, the anonymous gentlewomen that the Nyobo created by Murasaki Shikibu to narrate the tale of Genji. Um, and in a similar fashion, um, Machiko didn't actually witness everything that she, that her narrator talks about, um, especially the first three chapters of the text and much of the fourth uh, cover various events um, that took place before uh, the characters were born or even be certainly before Machiko became one of Yoshiasu's con concubines. Um, but once we reach... Um, 1693, at the time that Machiko became Yoshiasu's concubines, the the the, the um, text weaves together accounts of events that she she was certainly present at, and events that she cannot have been. Um, and every now and then, the distance between the narrator and the author disappears, um, and that that's different from um, from what we know about the tale of Genji. Anyway, that that occasional closing of the distance between narrator and author. Um, when she talks about the birth of her children, for example, when she talks about her conversations with Yoshiasu, for example, I think we can assume that those are um, – the, the, we know that the the, the children um, were hers, and uh, we can assume that something like those conversations took place. So, I mean, in in other ways, um, the in the, the in the shelter of of the pine alludes to Genji. It's the text which is most alluded to. There are at least a hundred references to Genji, um, borrowings of vocabulary, for example, um, borrowings of narrative technique. Sometimes entire scenes are recreated. Um, Yes, and and so yeah, it's. I think perhaps what we might describe as the difference is that that the tale of Genji, that the narrator is uh, very commonly takes a somewhat ironic stance towards the hero. She points out his foibles. She undercuts his grandeur. Um, 
And the narrator of In the Shelter of the Pine, I think we could say, never does that. So the hero is always heroic, always splendid, always beautiful. Um, and uh, he is his grandeur is never undercut by the narrator. She takes a somewhat more worshipful stance, we might say, towards her protagonist um, in comparison with the narrator of The Tale of Genji. Now, that's a point that I want to come back to later. But as you just uh, mentioned, sometimes, so even though the most, well, I guess we can say a lot of the moments in this memoir were fictionalized or sort of based on what she witnessed, but there were also moments, like you said, that were true, that were faithful, historical representations. So from this memoir, what can we tell about her um, life and her, more importantly, her feelings. What was she concerned about? Yes, I think that's that's actually extraordinarily difficult. Uh, when I started out, I had the idea that it would be possible to read between the lines, um, and. I'm not sure that, that, I mean, it's such a consummate narrative performance that I'm not sure that it's really possible to get back to someone that we might think of as the real Machko. Um, but in her emphases, in her decisions about what to talk about and what not to talk about, I think we can at least we can say that uh, she remained a loyal noblewoman uh, throughout. So from the age of 16 onwards, she lived as a noblewoman in a book in a warrior household. Um, and she was surrounded by uh, people who belonged to a different part of Japanese society from the, the world in which she had been born and raised. And yet, she never once refers to Edo in the text. Um, she always refers to where she is as Azuma, as in the East. Uh, the shogun is never referred to as the shogun or even as Kubo, which is the um, standard word to refer to him um, in Edo period texts. So, she is very careful to she very carefully creates a an aristocratic like splendor to the world that she lives in and and so i th i think we we might say that the real story here um as far as she is concerned the, the reason why she retells yoshiyasu's life in the in the style of the tale of genji is a sort of Rhetorically, uh, she is able by doing that to lift him above his rather humble origins, um, to dignify his rise to power, um, and at the same time to depict herself um, as and and her life in the Yanagisawa mansion, as if it was Genji's Rokujo estate, um, as if she were one of the shining Genji's own ladies um, and so uh, I, I think that's what's what what we can we can well, that's what I would suggest um, is really going on here that's a very curious point 
so even though the the I guess the original Japanese title is for for this memoir was a diary. I mean, as a diary, it's more about her lover Yoshiyasu than herself. And I noticed that throughout the translation, um, she referred to um, Yoshiyasu as Your Highness. No, His Highness is actually a reference to Tsunayoshi. Oh, okay, my my mistake. Sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, but still, from the, the uh, her mentionings of Yoshiyasu, it seemed like he was a very central figure in her life, and I guess her everything. Um, what was their relationship like um, between Machiko and uh, Yoshiyasu? Because, as the book, uh, the memoir also mentioned, they are not technically. Well, Machiko is a concubine. So how does that work? And what was their relationship like? Yes. Yes. In fact, the the word, I'm not quite sure at what point the word Nikki, tr- traditionally translated into English as diary, got attached uh, to um, the manuscript. Uh, it's it's not a diary. Um, it's arranged chronologically, um, but it's in fact not a daily record of their life. There are daily records uh, by aristocratic women from this period, um, not uh, currently in print, um, but uh, it's it as I as I said, it's it's not a diary. And you're quite correct to point out that Yoshiyasu looms large in the narrative. He's the the sort of unspoken uh, subject of most of the sentences, and and that's because he is uh, her protagonist, the the centre around which the action revolves. So. Uh, but as as you also pointed out, Yoshi, um, Nachiko was not married to Yoshiyasu. She was one of a number of. Uh, he, she was his second concubine. Uh, so concubinage at this level of Japanese society was a solution to a problem. Um, in Yoshiyasu's case, his uh, samurai wife proved unable to have children, and although they adopted and brought up four girls from related warrior families, and they surely could have adopted a husband for one of them and and made him their heir. Um, instead, after 10 years of married life, Yoshiyasu uh, decided to take one of his mother's uh, gentlewomen as his first concubine, and this woman, uh, Izuka Someko, uh, gave birth to the boy who would become Yoshiyasu's heir. Um, and as Anne Walthall has pointed out, in the Christian world, uh, monogamy was the law and sons born by concubines were considered bastards and could not succeed to their father's position. But outside the Christian world, uh, um, concubines uh, were not a problem. Uh, they enabled rulers of various sorts to have a number of offspring um, and the sons born to concubines uh, were not prevented from inheriting. And in fact, Yoshiyasu himself was his, uh, the son of one of his father's concubines. So it was not a bar to inheritance. The one thing I would say is that when men of samurai status um, took 
uh, a woman uh, who became um, a wife-like figure who uh, who was, uh, it, to all intents and purposes, his wife. If she was not of samurai status, then on uh, his family tree, she would typically, typically be listed as sho mekakes, concubine. Okay, so uh, in this very hierarchical uh, and stratified world, um, it was uh, not possible um, for a woman like Machiko to be the wife of Yoshiyasu unless she had previously uh, been adopted um, to a buke household. And, and so that's how uh, a number of uh, aristocratic women did actually become the uh, official wives of men of the warrior estate, first by being adopted by a warrior and then given as a, a daughter uh, to a daimyo. That sounds quite complicated. Yes, yes. yes. Masha Yonemoto has written very interestingly about um, adoption as it was practiced in the elite um, uh, of the Tokugawa period um, in this time, and it, it gets fantastically complicated, yes. Wow, that's, um, that's good to know as, um, as some background information, um, considering how different it might be from traditional Western value. Um, so in the book, there are also many moments about poetry. Sounds like Machiko was a very enthusiastic writer. So what did she write about? And um, how involved was she in poetry writing? Was it mostly waka poetry? Or um, I guess, what other kinds of writing did she do? I th- um, I think it's it's easy for us to forget now that until the 20th century, all educated Japanese people compose poetry. Um, and so in, in that sense, her commitment to poetry and Yoshiasu's as well um, was not unusual among um, the elite, um, the educated elite of Japanese society. Um, Yoshiasu's devotion to poetry was certainly um, his desire to have a retired emperor look over his poetry and correct it um, was perhaps extreme, but it certainly wasn't unique. There are a number of other um, daimyo figures who had noble men um, from the famous poetry houses uh, teach them poetry. And, uh, but but Machiko's commitment to poetry, I think, is entirely standard. Um, and, uh, and as I said, until the 20th century, um, all educated Japanese people could compose uh, waka. I don't, I don't think that's at all unusual. As for what, I don't think we have any evidence of anything else that she composed. Um, her poetry um, is still extant. Uh, there's a, a, a manuscript of about 50 of her poems still in the National Diet Library, for example. Uh, Matsukage Nikki is still extant. Um, but I don't think there's any evidence of anything else that she might have written. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. If Miyakawa-san has 
uh, written a very speculative but tremendously um, interesting article positing a connection between Machiko and uh, Gion Kajiko, uh, so a Kyoto uh, tea house owner and poet. Um, and so, and it's likely that Machiko was the author of the preface to uh, Kajino Han. Uh, Kajiko's published poetry collection. Uh, that's the only other um, piece of prose we know that um, we can reasonably uh, be ascertain that she wrote. And you mentioned very briefly in the book that Matsukage Niki uh, in the Shelter of Pine was already read by other people in the Tokugawa period. So who do we have any information on who read it, um, how they read it, and how it was perceived? So we know that members of her family, it, was, it circulated in the Yanagisawa house, um, and it was also used by uh, the compilers of the official history of the Tokugawa shogunate, the Tokugawa Jiki, as a historical source. Um, and so to those scholars who were compiling the history, uh, it was obviously regarded as reliable. Um, and Matsukage Niki is quoted about 20 times in Tokugawa Jiki. Uh, it also circulated among a number of uh, Confucian and other scholars, Bunjin, perhaps we might say, um, in the Edo period. And it's hard to know. Uh, I wish we knew a bit more about what their particular interest in the text was. Um, Rai Shunsi, for example, the father of Rai Sanyo, uh, got hold of a copy of the text, sent it to Hiroshima to his wife, asked her to make a copy of it for him, uh, and then Many years later, in his retirement, he noted in his diary that he had finished reading it. But unfortunately, he doesn't say what he thought of it or why he wanted to read it. Um, but we can speculate that he was uh, interested in the relationship between Yoshiyasu and Tsunayoshi. So it the period uh, of Tsunayoshi's rule and then Tsunayoshi's heir, Ienobu, and the seventh shogun, Ienobu's uh, child, Ietsugu, was a period when the role of the uh, person who, uh, the, the sobayonin, the adjutant, was at its height. Um, and he may have been interested in the power that men like Yoshiyasu had within the world of shogunal politics. And it may also be that Yoshiyasu was uh, also famous for employing more than a dozen Confucian scholarship scholars in his entourage, and uh, Rai Shunsu, as a Confucian scholar, may have been interested in, you know, so so what was it like, you know, to be a Confucian scholar um, working for Yanagisawa Yoshiyasu? But I think the real work about the reception of Matsukage Niki in the Edo period remains to be done. There are about uh, three dozen surviving manuscripts scattered all over Japan, and one would need to go and have a look at each one of them, look at the ownership seals, see who owned it, and, and then begin thinking about what kind of pattern of ownership and readership that might reveal. Um, and that all of that work remains to still to be done. That is fascinating. Now, I'd like to return to a point you made uh, in the beginning of our conversation, which is the lack of studies on 
such kind of literature by women from the early modern period because of how few there are, and also perhaps because of our methods in dealing with these materials. Um, in the case of In the Shelter of the Pine, for example, when I was reading it, I had to constantly remind myself that it was written by a concubine in a very different time background because she mentioned so little of herself. Everything was about her lover. And it was quite um, unbelievable in a sense for me to see how a noble woman so well-educated, so full of feelings and emotions to, to let herself disappear in her own memoir or a diary. So how do you think um, as scholars or as readers in this case, how we should approach such a piece of literature that's both fictional and documentary? Um, In what ways can we use them to understand the past and more importantly, how to understand women's roles such as Machiko's in the past? Hmm. It's a very interesting question. Yes, I think the fact that Machiko rarely speaks in what we might think of as her own voice, certainly not in any unmediated way, tells us something about the genre that she's using. She's using, although it's called a Nikki, she's in fact writing a monogatari. And monogatari authors, ta- authors of tales, do not write about themselves. Murasaki Shikibu did not write about herself in the tale of Genji. She wrote about herself in her diary, Murasaki Shikibu Nikki. Um, and, uh, and, and so I think that this, the, the fact that we don't hear much there's a bit. I mean, there are occasions when she, you know, when her grandfather dies, for example, and she talks about her childhood and how it was that she came to join the Anagisa household, for example, in chapter 15, um, the, the birth of her children, you know, the, the conversation that she has with Yoshias at the beginning of chapter 19 about poetry. You know, there are occasions when she does speak in something which we might think of as her own voice. Um, but uh, in other respects, as you say, she doesn't uh, directly speak to us. And, and that's because she's writing a monogatari and the pro- protagonist of that monogatari is Yanagisawa Yoshiyasu, not her. As for the reasons why uh, there haven't been more translations of uh, works by uh, women writers from the Edo period. Uh, there are all sorts of reasons for that, I think. Um, one of the reasons um, is because uh, then those works are not canonical and therefore they haven't been studied by Japanese scholars and therefore, although you may be able to get a printed text of them, uh, there are, for example, there are at least a thousand pages of printed texts by Arakira Rei, for example, and there's also a complete works of Inoue Tsujo. Um, Inoue Tsujo is one of the uh, women who appears frequently in in um, Masha Yonemoto's The Problem of Women um, in Early Modern Japan, for example. It's a great source. Um, uh, but not, 
those two women, for example, have not been translated into English. And one of the reasons is because they haven't been uh, annotated or studied by Japanese scholars. The text, the raw texts are there. You can go and read them uh, without having to transcribe them from manuscript. But they're densely elusive and very hard to understand. And and so in that sense, I was able to translate Matsukage Nikki um, because uh, Miyakawa Yoko had done a beautifully annotated edition of it. So it was possible to do it in a reasonable length of time. Well, I will take that as um, one more reason to learn to read cursive style um, kuzushiji, which I think every uh, scholar in Japanese studies should do. Yes. <laughs> yes, but, it, it certainly yeah. gives you a new perspective on, on the incredible labor that's involved in producing those texts, which we pull off the shelf and open and think we can read. Yes. Yes, and this is totally not an advertisement. But thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. It was very illuminating. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Um, for our readers, our listeners, to read more about Machiko's memoir, make sure you check out Dr. Gabriel Lee's translation in The Shelter of the Pine. This is Jingyi from New Books in Japanese Studies, and I will see you soon.